Well, so uh, I've been doing some organizing in my shop at the house. About a year and a half ago, Lisa and I moved, and uh, part of that move involved this beautiful shop that uh, is now kind of my space. So prior to that, I was moving like saws out into the driveway, and then I'd pile them all back in the basement, and now it's all kind of set up, and it's beautiful. And, 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 and you know those people that buy two, two identical tools because they can't find the first one? That's me. That's exactly what I do. And so we're, Thomas is helping me. We're down there. We're kind of organizing and going through everything and seeing all the stuff, you know, that we have. And Thomas says, hey, Dad, you know, you got two of this. Yeah, that's something. I don't know how I got that. It must have been a gift, you know. And um, <laughs> we're unpacking boxes. I even got boxes up in one of our barns that I haven't even unpacked that apparently are tools that I desperately needed at some point in my life. And so um, all that's going on. And and so I started to discover, we started to discover that I had multiple tools of the same thing. And, and I think that's an admirable trait, but not everybody at the Harding household thinks that's an admirable trait to have two of some of these things. And so Thomas and I were talking about this. And so Thomas says something like, hey, dad, you ought to put labels on your drawers. Now, there's an appropriate joke between dad and son that took place at that moment that I can't tell you about right now, but you can just figure it out for yourself later. But then I went on to say, son, we don't put labels on our drawers. <laughs> Why? He said, because we're men. <laughs> and if that offends you, it's because I'm a man. I mean, I don't know how to explain this to you other than I don't put labels on my drawers. And like, if my buddies come over to the house and I got labels on my drawers, I'm going to get beat up. That's what's going to happen. But then something happened. I don't know if it's the hearing aid or what, but I started to think, that might be a good idea to put a label on my drawers. And so I started to think about it. I started to think about it even like contemplated. And, and so I'm thinking about buying a label maker. All y'all stink. Everybody right there. I'm thinking about buying one. But I'm afraid I already have one somewhere, and I don't have any idea where it is. <laughs> ah, man. So if you come to the house, and you say, hey, can I see the shop? And I say, no, it's because I got labels on my drawers, and I don't want you to know that that's, well, that's kind of what I wanted to talk with you about in this series, is this, this change series. I want to talk to you a little bit about labels. And let me put it this way, if you had to finish this sentence for yourself, what would it be? And in order for you to get anything out of the rest of this message, especially the first part, which is kind of setting up the series, okay, you got to fill this in for reals. Okay, so like your first reaction to this is probably going to be something simple. People see me as tall, you know, and I get that. Okay, that's fine. But I'm talking about going deeper than that. A good place for you to start if you haven't been there is a good thing about junior high. What was that then? What was the label you picked up then? Or maybe through relationships. It starts in school. I think we kind of can't help it. We all have to classify kids and kids classify themselves. You know, smart kid, dumb kid, poor kid, rich kid, athletic kid, nerdy kid, black kid, white kid. And then adults put labels on people too. And so one of the first questions we'll ask each other is this. We'll say, so what do you do? Because I can put a label on you. Like if you say to me, I'm an assassin. <laughs> well, there's some baggage with that one. <clears throat> and if you say, well, I'm an engineer. So tell me more about being an assassin. You know, that's kind of how that would go. It's, it's just real. You know that's true. Even if you is one of those, right? 
You really want to throw one in there, drop preacher on that bad boy and watch what happens. It's like you got leprosy in a moment. It's like whoosh. Yeah, horrible. What we do, we put labels on each other. We ask what you do, and then we maybe ask about education and maybe talk about where you grew up and you know, do you have any, did you grow up in, in the church? And you say, yeah, I'm Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Baptocostal, <laughs> you know, whatever you are, kind of hybrid thing. And we'll say, well, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, I'm Independent, um, I'm a Tiger fan, a Gamecock fan, I'm a Patriots fan, and then I, I'm a fan because I have sense of everyone else, you know, that kind of idea. Sometimes the labels are, are more related to our pain or hurt. So if you really have been able to mine down on this with me for a moment and even had some time to think about it, you know, maybe people see me as divorced or single, um, an addict, alcoholic, unemployed, see me as cancer-stricken or, or ill. Sometimes people say, people see me as judgmental, at least my, my kids do. Some people see me as holier than thou or righteous, self-righteous. Some people see me as cold, standoffish, failure, loser. And of course, on top of this, there are actually labels we put on ourselves. So when you're standing in front of the mirror, you're actually seeing a label too. I don't know if you spend any time thinking about it, but we all kind of have this default we go to when we think about how we see ourselves. And so we stand in front of the mirror and we say, I'm label about how we look physically or how we feel about ourselves, labels about our past, our present and future, failure, loser, winner. Sometimes we even pick up labels that we didn't choose, but somebody put on, put on us and we've just lived up to it. We heard maybe when we were a kid, hey, you'll never be good enough. So we just lived up to that, you know. Or maybe, you know, you heard your parents are hitting out of the park, but you don't feel like you hit out of the park at all, so you live with that label. Maybe it was a parent that put a label on you, or sometimes it was a sibling. Sometimes a doctor gives a diagnosis, and so we live in that diagnosis for the rest of our lives. Sometimes a pastor slapped a label on us, and that hurt us. So again, let me ask again a little more serious How would you complete this sentence for yourself? See, when it comes to our labels, I think there is this point of resolve in people where we start saying, that's who we are. We start buying our own junk. We start reading our own label and think, yeah, that must be true. I'll always be an alcoholic or I'll always be an addict. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be pretty enough. I'll never be smart enough. I'll always be alone. Um... I shouldn't trust anybody, ever. That'd be a label, a distrustful. Uh, I'm a victim, always will be. I'm an abuser, always will be. I'm a fraud, unlovable, or damaged goods. I don't know if it's an age thing or not, but I'm getting to this point where I used to kind of enjoy labels because it helped me understand people a little bit, but I think I'm getting to the point where I almost hate labels. Not just the labels that, at least the ones that damage, and, and I don't like the ones that I, I find myself placing you on under, but I also don't like the ones I'm placing myself under. And so I wonder when I'm standing in front of the mirror, man, I know I'm going really deep, really fast, and I can tell by your face, you're kind of uncomfortable about where it's going. And I am, as soon as I know where it's going, I'll let you know, but I mean, I'm kind of uncomfortable too. But man, let me just, let me just play this out. I, 
you get there in front of that mirror and you think, man, I, I, do I believe that about myself? Is that really true? Is that, is that, is that real? See, there have been times where I've actually bought into my own damaging labels. And I know it's true for you too. And that damaging label is actually controlling you. <laughs> and it may not even be a real label. It may not even be true. But you're living up to it, and I'm living up to it. And it controls. i got friends that this label that they got, and you know, it just drives me bonkers. People that are so super bright and intelligent and sharp and Gonna, I mean, they could take the world, but somewhere along the way, somebody told them they weren't enough. And they're living up to it. And, you know, I just want to employ that counseling technique where you grab them by the nap of their collar and, you know, come on, you got to be kidding. That's why I don't do any counseling. But, you know, that's kind of, what is wrong with you? You're amazing. And I know times I've bought in my own stupid labels. And labels get thrown around. What I discovered is the first thing that I try to do when someone says, hey, you know, this, whatever, someone says in the lobby or someone says in the community, whatever, first thing I try to do is try to prove them wrong. You know how I try to prove them wrong? My behavior. You know what I'm, I start trying to act different. And so that's kind of this label. So someone's, you know, try to be different than I am. So I, I try to eat less or I try to, you know, drink less if I, if I did a lot of that. Or I try to act kinder. I try to be encouraging. Or I try not to be so self-righteous. Or I try to be humble or try to be less critical. But here's what I'm learning about these labels and see if you can resonate with this state, statement. Behavior is actually an overflow of what's inside. And that's the label that really matters to me. You know, if you were to say, Tom, you're tall... Okay, you know, what can I do about that one? Uh, Tom, you're a jerk. Well, that one's an issue for me. So if I'm a jerk outside, which there are times, then really it's an overflow of more important stuff for me. Are you with me so far? See, I can change my outside stuff, but if I don't change the inside, I've just put lipstick on a pig. I've made it look a little better on the outside, but Tom, you're still a pig. <laughs> you follow? And that's what some of us try to do, even in church world. Well, I don't know if I'm any different, but I try to act more Christian. What the heck does that mean? You put a fish on your car? I mean, what does that mean when you say you try to act more Christian? I don't even know what that is. And I wonder if we're just putting lipstick on a pig. So now you're ready for the main question that I want to go through in this series, and we're going to apply it in some very uncomfortable areas in this series. Um, But the question I have is this, do we really believe people can change? Really? Do we really believe that change can actually happen? Because whatever your answer is to that determines the level of hope that we all have in our lives personally and the level of hope we have for the people we're doing life with. When you're looking at your kids and you're seeing them making decisions, do you believe they could really change? Or when you're looking at your marriage and y'all are just hanging on by this thin thread, do you believe you could really change inside, not behavioral stuff outside? Can people really change or are we destined for the most disgusting statement that runs across the planet. And are we destined for, it is what it is. Oh, shut up. And sometimes it's true, doggone it. But I mean, I still don't like it. It is what it is. It's an important question for me because it impacts not only the way I see myself, 
but it impacts the way I see you and I see the world. Can people really change? It impacts my outlook on life and my, out, my society on relationships. And can you imagine living in a world where none of us believed anybody could change? I got one for you. You don't even have to imagine this one because we're all part of a world where every election cycle we're told things are going to change. And we're still putting lipstick on a pig. Tom, that sounded political. Well, I'm not bright enough to be political, so don't, don't put that on me. I don't know, but I, I'm just saying I don't think change is going to come through politics, at least the kind of change I need. I've always wanted a bird. With this hearing aid, I realized I'm a lot funnier than I thought I was because I didn't think y'all ever laughed at my jokes. I have. I've always wanted a bird, and I, I don't know why. I mean, they're not cuddly, but birds intrigue me. And so far, the chairman of the board of the Harding Corporation has not allowed the, the bird to take place Rightfully so. And like their argument is, well, we have cats. To me, that's a double win. I mean, if you see a cat and a bird, but anyway, I know, I know that's, send me an email. Sometimes, sometimes, here's what I think is kind of interesting about birds. Have you ever noticed you can open a bird cage door and you got the little birds in there, which are obviously these? You got these little birds in there, and you open the door, and the birds still won't come out. Have you ever noticed that? Now, sometimes they will, but sometimes those birds don't come out. They just stay in the cage. You can take a bird cage, and I know this because I tried this at someone's house. You can take a bird cage and put it in front of the window and open the window and open the door, and the bird won't go out. Now, the one time I tried at your house, the bird's going to go out. But I've tried it before, and the bird doesn't go out. The bird just stays inside that cage. You sit there on a little wooden perch, pecking their little reflection in some dull mirror, and gnawing on some stale bird seed or a rope, and they think, man, I'm really living. Oh, is it too big a stretch to say that I wonder if that doesn't describe a lot of humanity? Maybe a lot of me. It's like there's this door to freedom that's wide open. We just sit there living in our labels, pecking some reflection of ourselves, eating stale bird seed, thinking we can never change. Here's the thing about change. Change isn't a mystery of how it happens. I mean, change and the dynamics of what produced change, there's no ambiguity. It's all pretty clear. So the path from bird prison to to bird freedom is always the same path. And I would say it falls along these three words, uh, vision, intention, and strategy. That's how change happens. Vision, intention, strategy. Tom, I want to lose weight this year. Well, there's a vision. What's your intention? Well, 
I'm not going to change anything really. Well, then don't even bother losing weight. You're not going to, you're not going to. But if you say, Tom, I want to lose weight. There's the vision. Here's my intention. What are you going to do? I'm going to join like slim watchers or something. You know, I'm going to do that. And then you're like, so then you start doing that. Well, then what's the strategy? Well, you got to get the app, you know, and you got to download the app and you got to check all your marks and stuff like that. And here's my strategy. Don't eat any, don't eat as much. You know, that's kind of what you got to do. But this is kind of the strategy, the way that change happens. So there's a vision. What would life be like? Now, here's the part I want to add. If somebody else, someone opened the door to be free. So it's one, it's one thing to have an idea, but what if you have an idea and someone helped you in that idea? So you got a vision to do something, to see change, but then you got a kick, a help, a boost. Then comes down the intention, what do I have to choose that is different for my birds? you got to choose to get out the cage. Strategy. How are we going to do that? What's the plan going to be? In the New Testament, there's this book, it's called, called Galatians. And um, so what happened is these churches formed when Jesus came to earth and all that Jesus did and churches started to form. And one church formed in Galatia. So here we are in the, in the shadow of Jesus' death and resurrection. I mean, just brand spanking new. And this church is trying to figure out what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. And they're battling amongst themselves. They're saying that we've been forgiven, but they're also saying we should still do the old things. So we've been forgiven and set free, but let's not forget the birdcage we're sitting in here. So we should do circumcision and sacrifice and several of the temple worship things that we did before. And this is what they were battling about in, in, in their services. Jesus saves us, but we still got to earn our way. And Paul writes to these people stuck in their old labels, and he says this, Christ has truly set us free. I'm going to come back to that, because if you remember what I said about vision, there it is. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So if vision involves somebody giving us a boost, right out of the gate, you see that we got a little bit of a boost, don't you? Christ has given you a boost. Christ has knocked the door open to the cage and put in front of an open window. You've been given a boost. So Jesus didn't come so everybody could avoid hell, Paul is saying. But everything else in life remains the same. Following Jesus was never meant to be this thing where we take him and we get out of fire insurance, but then life stays. I'd say it it this way. Jesus didn't die on a cross so we could all continue to live in a cage. That's not what this is. Jesus didn't die on the cross for my sins, and I received that, and then I stay the same. And wear the same old label. Apparently, there is this vision for change that's available to all of us, anybody, even if you don't believe in all of our labels. And the vision is freedom. Jesus died for us to be free. And that's the vision. Now, I I just showed you that in Scripture. So the question next then is, what do you intend to do about that? Do you intend to choose to be free? Or do you just want to stay in the birdcage? Because nothing changes really 
until we decide to take a stand, to have a line in the sand moment where we decide from this moment forward, I'm gonna, I intend to be free, born again, forgiven. And once our vision is clear and we have this intention, then we start to develop a strategy. And I think the strategy is to oversimplify maybe, but strategy forms around these two questions, who we are and what we do. And we start looking at those things and thinking about them in light of our new freedom. I would say this has something to do with spiritual formation, and, and, and we'll, we'll flesh this out in the series, but here's what I mean by spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is something in us, a spirit-led process of forming our inner world in such a way that we become like Jesus. We become like him. He said, I don't know if that's true. I know it's whether or not you believe in change. Because Scripture teaches we can be free because Christ kicked the door open. And spiritual formation is a spirit-led process of forming this inner world, not the behavioral, inner world in such a way. Now, this isn't some passive process where you get it by osmosis when you come into church. That's not what happens. But it's actually you and God working hand in hand, allowing him to shape and mold and guide and correct and comfort and challenge all under the covering of his grace. You think, Tom, it sounds like you're asking me i got to actually do something. Listen, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Of course it takes effort. Change always takes effort. But don't think you can earn it. It takes effort to come up off your perch and fly out of your stinky birdcage and go to freedom. That takes effort. I'll give you one illustration now that I've kind of laid down the groundwork for this series. Um, Where we see this whole process, vision, uh, intention, and strategy all playing out. And um, it involves labels. Um, and, and, and the scripture offers labels a lot on people, like tax collectors and fishermen and Pharisees and lepers and prostitutes and barren ones and all these labels. One of my favorite stories is the scripture, uh, in scripture is about a woman who all we know about her is her label. We have no idea what her name is. And we never know her by any other name other than the label, because she's simply called adulterer or the adulterous woman. And so that means she played outside the bounds of her marriage covenant with someone else. That's her label. Now, like some of us, if you're really honest at the very beginning when I asked you to complete the sentence, um, her label also is her biggest regret. You know, it, and everybody knows it. But even worse, her label is something she knows when she looks in the mirror. And she, she sees her label. Well, Jesus apparently is teaching one day in the temple. And this is the hub of the Jewish religion. And, and the teachers of the Jewish law interrupt Jesus. Now pause, because in this story, everybody has a label except for Jesus. So the religious leaders came in, labels. Pharisees came in, labels. And they come into this place where Jesus is teaching, and they bring a woman who'd been caught in her label, adulterer. And they put her in front of the crowd, another label. And in that moment, the religious leaders, they all try to trap Jesus 
by saying to him, Moses says we should all throw rocks at her and kill her. What do you say? Now, if Jesus answers one way, he's going to be seen as being anti-Moses, which is a no-no in Jewish culture. But if he answers the other way, this woman's going to be killed right there in front of everybody for her sin. So it's like this is a no-win situation for Jesus. But Jesus has a bigger agenda. He wants to teach that somebody's kicked the door of the birdcage open, and freedom is available for those who are in Christ Jesus. And keep in mind, for you, you've heard that language a lot maybe, but that crowd that day has never heard that language before. They've never experienced that before. And so Jesus puts into motion a series of circumstances that will illustrate this freedom in a grand way. Jesus, what are you going to do with this woman? She's caught in adultery. It's time for us to do the Moses thing and, you know, throw rocks at her. And what Jesus does is he stoops down, the scriptures say, and he wrote in the dust with his finger. So Jesus is down there doing his little thing in the dust. And, and, and the, the, the people that are demanding something keep pushing on him. Look at this. They kept demanding an answer. Hey, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> You need a hearing? Never mind, that's too soon. <laughs> Jesus. So he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Check this out. Then he stooped down and started messing in the dirt again. It's not like he stood up and said, sin, you know, throw the first stone. No, no. He dropped that bomb on him and then he started going back to his thing in the sand. Jesus essentially says this, okay, if you don't have a label of any kind, well, go ahead and let her have it. If you don't lug around your mistake or your regret or your shame producer or hurt you caused or hurt that was caused to you, then do away with her, Jesus says. That had to be tense. Can you imagine the woman? She's down there in front She's thinking, oh boy, I'm just going to be a bad day. And so Jesus says, do away with her. And now this woman, she's seen this happen to people. This wasn't weird for her culture. She'd seen other people, friends of hers maybe, who had been through this very experience. And so what would you do if you're the woman? If it was me... I think I would close my eyes, bow my head, maybe cover my head, and wait. Right? I mean, assuming I couldn't fight my way out of it. Just wait. What would you wait for? I'd wait for the sound first, right? The rustling of a robe or something. And then I'd start to wonder... Where is it coming from? Is it going to hit my back first? Is it going to hit me in the side of my head? Crown of my head? Is it going to hurt? And so the woman sits there. Hello. <laughs> and waits. Embraces her body for impact. 
I want to pause here long enough to tell you of a sermon I'm not going to give today, but I, I maybe will one day. We religious people are really good at attacking people because of their labels. The scripture calls that stupid. Loose translation, but it's kind of in there. So. <laughs> no, you're different than me. Bang. You don't vote like me. Bang. Different color. Bang. Back to the story. When the accusers heard this, cast the first rock, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Now, I want to pause here long enough to say this. In this moment, there are two people kneeling in this conversation. Look at the first clause of the next verse. Look at it. It says, then Jesus stood up. Pause. Because what that means is this. She was knelt down before Jesus to receive her death. And Jesus was kneeling too. Isn't that kind of cool? It wasn't like, oh, whoa, 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 it wasn't that. It wasn't fear at all. Apparently, Jesus stayed there about his business. Woman kneels down. If you all got first sin, cast a verse rock. That was kind of Clint Eastwood, but it's the ear. I, I, don't, I can't quite. I don't know, guys. That's just a beautiful picture of me. I love the fact that Jesus is kneeling down there when I'm in my junk. So Jesus stood up after the guys had all left. Said to the woman, well, doggone it. Where are your accusers? Didn't anybody condemn you? She starts looking around. I think again, if I'm the woman... I start with one eye. For some reason, I think I'm safer. You know, isn't it true? Isn't that what we would do? We'd start with one eye. <laughs> and then she opens the other one and sees everybody's gone. I said, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. Go. There's your freedom. Birdcage is open. Go on out there. Sin no more. She looks and their accusers are gone and Jesus is the only one standing there. There's not a rock in sight. I find it interesting that Jesus asked her the question. Woman, where are they? Has nobody condemned you? It's not like Jesus didn't know. Jesus knew her accusers were gone. He'd watched them leave one by one. But Jesus is about ready to teach a major lesson, not just to her, but to the good folks in live community who will hear her story 2,000 years later. And it was a lesson about grace. Jesus wanted to get to the heart of our labels and the power he gives us to change. He wanted to tell her that his grace was bigger than her sin. Now, I don't know you, but I do want you to know that maybe while you're here is that sentence, and you can just gnaw on that till I finish. 
You come in here thinking you're the stinkiest, most banged up, bruised up person. You're not. And Jesus' grace is big enough for even yours. Now, don't miss this. It's vital to your well-being spiritually. The woman in the story did sin. We all got compassion because this woman's getting ready to get rocks. But make no mistake, the woman in the story did wreck somebody's family, potentially. And the person she was with, because, you know, it takes two to tango, you know, the person she was with, that person also wrecked somebody's family. There's a mess up that happened there. Something bad took place, nastiness. There's no denying she was guilty. It's one thing the religious leaders got right. In fact, according to Old Testament law, the religious leaders were doing the exact right thing other than trying to trap Jesus. This is exactly what happened if you did this kind of thing according to Jewish law. And some of your labels, they were legit sin. They were. Some of mine. And it should bother you. Because of what it says in Romans about my sin and yours. And what it says is that the wage of sin is actually death. How are we going to sell that one today? So the label you're carrying, the label I'm carrying, it actually is death. And it did, it did rip something up. It was a legit hurt. So the question we have and we should ask, because whatever happens to the woman is what we got to own as well. So did the woman's sin go unpunished? Did she get away scot-free? Is that what grace is? It's a big wink and then everything's forgiven. Ha <laughs> ha, it's okay. The heck it is. Families got destroyed. Lives got ruined. How can it be Okay. And you can use it for your own sin too. How can it be okay? I did this. This did happen to me or by me. She was guilty. And that's what the crowd of the accusers wanted. See, God is loving. But God is also just. Jesus didn't let her off the hook. He offered to hang there for her instead. And that's the same thing he gave you and gave me. I earned a good many of my labels. And they're not a place of pride for me. Jesus didn't let me off the hook, but he did offer to hang there for me instead. Theological word for that? Propitiation. What it means is full payment. Apparently the wages of sin is death. That is the wage. But when Jesus died on the cross, he said, I am making a full payment for your sin. Which means... We can be free. <laughs> right out of birdcage. Hot dog. 
We can be free. We can come to church and be Christian. We can be believers of Jesus Christ. Not because we hit it out of the park our entire lives, but because Jesus hung in our place. That's why we can do this. It's why anybody can do this. It's why anybody can sing in a place like this. You're a hypocrite. Maybe. But I'm free (laughs) because Jesus hung in my place. And I'm free. He showed her a way out of the cage of her labels. And it's why, listen to me, friend, doing life together, trying to figure Jesus out, let me tell you, it's why a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is so vital because it is the key to your freedom and to lasting change. Coming in here once a week and getting a shot won't be enough. You have to fall in love with the one who knelt with you in your junk and then stood up and set you free by hanging on something so you didn't have to. That is the chewy chocolate center of Christianity. Now, we're never told if this woman went away and left her life a sin. I like to hope she did. I'm not sure if I like to hope is actually a sentence, but I like to think maybe she did. You know, maybe she did. I imagine she did. And you know what I wonder? I wonder what labels she got after. I wonder if she was ever called, oh, there goes that prayerful woman. <laughs> ah, there goes that faithful woman. There goes that generous woman. There goes that wise woman. There goes that grace-filled woman. There goes the woman that one day I hope my marriage is just like hers. Come on! Isn't that great news? Some of us have worn our labels far too long. And you think they're stitched into the fiber of your very being. Sometimes we even like our labels. This is newspaper in a cage and stale bird seed in this pretty perch and this poor reflection, but at least it's something I know. They treat me nice in here. But they pale in contrast with the new labels that Jesus desires to put on us. In Scripture, he says, you are a child of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ because I hung on a nail for you. He says, You have been moved from not my people to my people, from not beloved to beloved. You have been moved from unforgiven to forgiven, not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but for Jesus' name's sake, and he has set you free. So what labels are you wearing, and aren't you tired of them? Aren't you tired of them? Because you can be free. Jesus, would you, in the moment, would you speak to us? Hey, what's God saying to you? Anything? It's okay if you're not getting anything. Sometimes that happens, but is he saying something specifically to you? I couldn't live with myself as a human being 
if I didn't pause in this moment long enough to say, if you want to be free, what Paul wrote to the Galatians about Jesus, that can be your freedom. He's thrown the gate open for you to be free. And there's no real, it's hard for me to tell you, the path to do it is just to ask. Ask Jesus to set you free. Ask him to forgive you. When I did it, it was very much those words. And if you want to use my words, you can. Lord, forgive me for the sin in my life. And when I prayed that, I knew exactly what I was talking about. You probably do too. Forgive me for the sin of my life. Be my Savior. Save me from the birdcage. Save me from these prison walls. Set me free. You can use those same words. And sometimes after you pray something like that, you start to feel free right away. Sometimes you don't. Maybe you've bought into the vision, but now it's time to get your intention going. I intend, I intend to allow Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. Embrace the freedom He offers me. And then get strategic. Spiritual formation. Ask God to form Himself in you. And you will be changed. You will, you will be changed. And wouldn't that be better than the label you brought in here? So, Lord, over this series, would you cover this place with your Spirit's anointing? Allow us to sense and hear from you. Allow breakthroughs to happen, chains to be broken, people to be free. In your name, amen.